I'm around Americans, I sound American or yeah. Canadian for the most part. I get like, <laughs> are you Canadian more than are more you than Canadian? Most. Well, the Queen's on the money, which is like fine. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, uh, British light. You know, British. Uh, I'm not even that. I my line now is like I used to be British. Is mostly my line. <laughs> From Connext Media, this is Atlanta Born and Brand. I'm your host, Jonathan Hilliard. Atlanta Born and Brand is a show all about businesses that are being built right here in the capital of the South. But more importantly, it's a show about their founders. We wanted to find some of the city's most interesting entrepreneurs and creators, hear about their challenges, successes, and how they built a brand that will last. Maybe most importantly, We want to introduce these founders, brands, and businesses to the city they live in, their neighbors, to make sure Atlanta and those brands that call it home can thrive for generations to come. Everybody has a story, and in 2019, a lot of those stories have incredible photography to go with them. But how do we tell those stories? How do we share them effectively with the world? Today, we're talking to Luke Beard, founder and CEO of Exposure. The company's website describes Exposure as the simple way to create and share your unique photo stories. But as you'll learn today, while clearly unique, Luke's path to Atlanta was anything but simple. Getting everything out in the open, you are not a a native ATLian. No, like barely ATLian at this point. But But what, (laughs) what, what attracts me to what you're doing one is your the incredible thing that you've built. But two, you moved to Atlanta, what, it's almost two years ago now? Coming up on two years, yeah. And, like, you dove you dove headfirst into the culture. And you seem like you're someone in your brief time that has really enjoyed living in Atlanta. And tell me if I'm wrong there. And if you want to, you know, on this show, maybe saying Atlanta's a dump and I hate this place isn't the right way to go. But, you know, you tell me <laughs> about your your two years in Atlanta thus far. That would be so good. Uh, no, Atlanta is the greatest city in America. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, no, my friends keep referring to me as Captain Atlanta. Um, yeah. I've also spent like $800 on Atlanta Olympic swag at this point. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, when I originally moved to America, I'm yeah. British originally, um, I went straight to San Francisco to like play <laughs> startup boy effectively, like play in mm. startup land, kind of see where that part of my career would take and me. how old were you when you moved from Great Britain to San Francisco? Uh, 24. Okay. Yeah. So um, I was like, old enough but i certainly didn't have any home per se mm-hmm. like i moved wholeheartedly expecting that this would be a stopgap, and i just like see what happened like yeah. i had no like i didn't bring anything with me i just literally had a suitcase so like kind <laughs> of i had the i had the promise of like there was a couch at home to go home to if it all went to hell but yeah um no i mean moving to atlanta it's it's really heartwarming to call somewhere home <laughs> um i met my wife while in san francisco and she's from south carolina so we've effectively moved home for her at the same time. So, and I love my nephews. I get to see like all four of those gnarly yeah. little dudes like so much more, <laughs> like what better than once a year. Right. Um, and there's something about the surface level of the West Coast that the surface level like history of the West Coast hmm. that is nothing compared to like the Southeast. Like there yeah. is just so much yeah. to really dig into. And if you if you move to America to understand America, you must understand the Southeast. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's just been. I mean, uh, we did a couple of cities because she got into a couple of schools because 
oh, we moved because she's going to school. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and we, yeah, we, we, you know, we could have gone to Tacoma or Denver, but mm. Atlanta was like, as soon as we did our kind of whistle stop tours, I was like, I would love to live here. <laughs> what was it about that visit that, that, that attracted you? The Beltline? Yep. Like uh, so much of that. I know it sounds very like kind of, uh, cliche, <laughs> but as someone who doesn't have a driving license and, uh, gets it by bike for the most part, wow. um, I can... I was just amazed that this was a yeah. project that they could get off the ground. Like, I couldn't imagine the amount of uh, red tape you had to go through. And, and since learning the history of the Beltline yeah. and kind of the economic driver that it's been, like, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, that plus, like, it has all the cool stuff I love. Like, I love my third wave coffee shops. I love my right. bougie nonsense. <laughs> but if you actually pair that with a city that is, like, trying to handle gentrification correctly and, yeah. like, it's growing out of a very interesting past and you know there's so much to from a cultural standpoint like yeah i i I am a huge fan of atlanta influences everything like that is a real sentiment at this point yeah um i I don't know it's just it was it got me straight away i was like yeah i'm i'm down to i'm down to put roots here and that's why the two years has just been like how much can i know about atlanta and how much impact or contribution can i have if you follow him on instagram you can tell luke is all in on atlanta today but let's rewind the clock and change the setting for you a little bit. In fact, to get to the beginning of this story, the trip takes us a little over 4,000 miles away to the United Kingdom, where Luke was ready for a change. Uh, my first like toe dip into startup land was, I ended up doing a five-week stint with a Estonian-Swedish company called Zerpli in, okay. out in Mountain View. So like, <laughs> I was working at a teeny tiny web design agency like yeah. four people it was lame i'd done my three years i was like i want to work on something i want to work on something big i want to work on a product like i didn't know what startups <laughs> were at this point yeah. i was i was definitely like naive to the point of hilarity that uh when i was when i was considering this and i somehow wrangled my way through twitter like my my startup journey is like because i sent a tweet which is amazing <laughs> um and uh, so this guy called Daniel jacobs he is like one of the founders of Zerpli. Zerpli are still going. Mm. And uh, they, original version of Zerpli was like, they took all your Facebook and LinkedIn data and turned it into like a beautiful CV, like a profile. Mm, and they yeah. had like themes and stuff. And Mike Cuss, which is like a British designer, had designed one. I was always really into it. Mm. Um, but effectively, like we'd followed each other on Twitter after I'd used it. And uh, I was like, oh, man, I just wrote a tweet. I think I had, like, had two glasses of wine. I was like, woo, <laughs> like, time to say something serious on Great Twitter. time to tweet. Yes. Always a great time. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I'd really love to go to America or Australia to work on a product. Like, mm. I don't know why I said Australia. I guess I thought they had, they built stuff there. Yeah. Um, and he tweets back at me, like, oh, you should go to Silicon Valley. And I was like, I don't know. I had to Google Silicon Valley. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. So I was like reading the Wikipedia page. I was like, oh, this is where Google and Facebook is mm-hmm. and Apple. I was like, I was like, oh, that would be amazing. Um, so like a few emails back and forth about like where I was, what I wanted. He was like, well, why didn't, like, you were a designer, we need a designer. Like, we're in Mountain View for the next while. Like, they were mm-hmm. playing for YC at the time. Yeah. I didn't know what YC was. <laughs> so they are like, do you want to come out to, like, Mountain View for five weeks? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, sure. That makes sense. So, like, I, I was, like, 22 at this point. I had no yeah. idea what I was doing. And uh, I, like, 
So they bought me a ticket. I got on a plane. I watched the social network on the way there. I was like, oh, this is exactly what it's going to be like. I landed and I went to like a house where they were all living. And they're like a big family unit. Like there's yeah. a, like a, like a, a, it was a founder's wife and the founder's brother was there. And mm-hmm. There's all these like Eastern European people who are like so stoic and lovely. And I still love them to this day. Um, and so like I did five works a work week there, but like wandering around like the Google Plex and, mm-hmm. you know, opening your phone and having like, why is there Google Wi-Fi everywhere? It's because like, you're in this bubble. Right. And so I did five weeks with them. It was like super life-changing. I just shipped mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff. I designed a bunch of stuff. It was, it felt like what I wanted yeah. to go from web design agency to, to startup world. Um, like fast forward that, like I worked with them for a year remotely from England because I didn't really want to move at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, they couldn't pay me anymore. Uh, I ended up working, ended up, um, kind of having enough of a reputation at that point cause they got mm. a little bit of traction and I was, I guess, growing in design Twitter community. Yeah. Um, so I ended up just working with a bunch of companies that I really liked Hipstamatic, Buffer. Um, mm. so Buffer's dashboard is like still the one I designed in like nice. 2013 or 12. Buffer, by the way, thank it's, you. And there's, it's, like, I it's I really, say. I mean, it's, it's came a long way, but like yeah. fundamentally I'm like, is this the same thing? Yeah. Um, did like the first version of their iPhone app. It's like kind of cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, worked with Hipsomatic for a long time. Mm. Um, and then I, a few trips back and forth to San Francisco to see clients mm. and stuff like that. It was kind of obvious. Like I needed to move if I was ever going to advance my career as like a, I guess product designer at this point. Sure. I still didn't quite know what I was because I loved front end, I like designing. I was like, sure. Meh. Uh, so one of the companies I've been work, I was working for, kind of like took me over for a week. And at the end of the week, they were like, look, if you want to move, like, mm. let's do it. And I was like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it sounds like a great idea. Mm. Uh, like, kind of went home, like, broke up with a girlfriend I really liked, and, like, <laughs> canceled a lease on an apartment, put everything in one suitcase. Because life changes happen best in bulk. Yes. I was like, <laughs> I might as well, yeah, like, just yeah. completely table flip this right. whole thing. Um, <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Right. Uh, I remember my suitcase was too heavy. Like, that was one I remember getting on the plane and they'd been like, this is going to charge you like $200 more. I was like, I don't care. I'm never coming yeah. back. Uh, so that was it. That was like, it, it was just the, the understanding that while cool remote work from Cheltenham, England, where I was living at the time, yeah. making, you know, Bay Area money. I was having, like, it was a really nice life, but mm. I knew my field of dreams was very small. Sure. at that point like sure. I, there's nothing like being in the environment where the stuff you're working on is yeah so yeah that was it i mean just kind of a i mean it was maybe like a week-long decision of like pondering yeah and i was like i gotta go it so yeah i just packed my big purple suitcase and gave up all my things <laughs> and double checked that i could still come home if it all went to hell right. and right. got on a plane one more thing about your background sure you are a rare combination of uh, sort of artist and product mm-hmm. uh, person. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes maybe the parts of the brain that are really good at the artistic things aren't necessarily as um, refined in building something or designing mm-hmm. a, a product, a, a specifically a product so rooted in technology. Yeah, Is photography something that you always had an, uh, an interest in growing up or is that something that developed over time um, what, what's your background there? You can probably blame like Slipknot or something, or, like the <laughs> band, because I grew up, when I first got my like first cracked copy of Photoshop, yep. it was to design artwork for bands, like okay. my friends' bands, and then kind of, I've always been into 
heavy metal and you know yeah. just like the worst aggressive music you can think of <laughs> like people don't actually know how i work with it and uh i'd started making artwork for my friends bands originally mm-hmm. um and then moved on to like i kind of like got into the myspace crowd of people yeah uh, i did some stuff for bring me the horizon at one point and they're mm-hmm. like a huge band now yeah. which is i think i did like a t-shirt for them on myspace or something mm-hmm. um so i grew up wanting to like i would look at converge artwork like jacob Pennon and I would like want to know how that worked. Yeah. So I would just remake that in Photoshop and that just like taught me, I guess my artistic value. I had always kind of doodled as a kid, but I never definitely, I wasn't an artist, Yeah. but it, it, once I had the tools that Photoshop kind of like put in my hands, I could start to get things out of my head that has always been there. Hmm. Um, So yeah, did many posters, which are like still in my Flickr account, Hmm. um, skulls, textures it was so gnarly <laughs> i still whip i still get to do a poster now and again i'm like this is yeah. fun yeah um but like oh, that was my uh, i guess that was my like creative foundation sure um especially like typography and like laying out band artwork or mm-hmm. posters like teaches you a certain discipline yeah. um and photography kind of parlays into that pretty well because like a lot of a lot of artwork is very photography based mm-hmm. or it you know it's part of a composite process sure so you have to understand that to get the artwork part out um the product and then like photography really became a focus me like after i moved to san francisco like okay. after i kind of got my head around a few different things but um it, i broke my family's first digital camera because i scratched <laughs> the lens like i'd always wanted to i'd always wanted to get my hands on whatever i could to yeah. make stuff but yeah. um i'd always break it pretty fast also <laughs> yeah so you've got uh you know, you've got your overweight suitcase, you get to, to California, mm-hmm. and you start working in the startup space. Mm-hmm. Is it, did it feel like everything you thought it would be once you got there? What was your actual experience like kind of living out in that culture and sort of being immersed in it every day? Um, yes, like San Francisco is a truly magical, wonderful, awful place. <laughs> um, it is, I, you, you have to, once you move there, you understand why people want to live there. Like it's, it's there's no, as far as I'm aware, there's like no other place like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and living, moving there for technology, you end up basically kind of making friends with a cohort of people that are either in like the same kind of level or just moved or mm-hmm. they're working on similar stuff. You kind of just like, if you, I mean, thankfully Twitter was there. Like I connected with a lot of people very quickly. Yeah. And the friends I did make, like we were all just like one band of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, for the first couple months for the company i moved for like it was cool and then when you like stop partying for a second like i I, like doesn't sound kind of stupid but like all all we did for the first couple months is like work a bit and party a lot (laughs) and that was like fun but when it kind of came down to the work the actual company i'd moved for um like wasn't the right fit like Hmm. after you know some perspective of being there for a couple months yeah i started putting the piece together like this isn't quite right um and that was really scary (laughs) because i was like oh no i table flipped my life to maybe move for something (laughs) that's not quite right um (laughs) not a wholeheartedly awful situation Mm -hmm. just not the right one Um, was it bad enough for you to consider just cutting your losses and going back to England? Well, they also hadn't sorted my visa out, so mm. I was in a dubious spot uh, at that point. Um, I mean, you don't want to you don't want to jeopardize your immigration um, safety net. Like, as a someone from the European Union, you're pretty good, but you sure. overstay anything, like, it's bad news in the long term. Yeah. 
Um, so the company I originally moved for were like, yeah, we'll sort it out, and they didn't, which mm-hmm. is someone, as my advice to people moving from anywhere not here is like, make sure you understand that yeah. in as much detail as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, uh, during this process, kind of like had made enough, uh, I made enough connections or I built enough community and I'd actually met enough people that I really respected that I ended up like having the perfect opportunity for me, like come straight off the back of me starting to panic. So I moved for one company and then ended up getting very organically um, introduced to Kyle Bragger, who um, who was working at Elipath at the time, and Elipath is where we built Exposure. Hmm. Uh, so I went from like, oh no, I've screwed up, to, ah, this is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and they sold my visa out pronto, which was great. <laughs> that, as far as uh, employment benefits go, that's right up yeah, at the top of the super list. super good. I yes. am, I, I mean, I would rather take a solid visa or health insurance at this point. Um, I mean, yeah. I'm green card now, but then it was, yeah. I don't think if you, if you are going to move from another country to America, like you have to understand the orders of magnitude that come with, right. um, with having uh, immigration status. So just a short time after packing up his life and moving halfway across the world, Luke was making another career move. And this one turned out to be the perfect stepping stone he needed to finally build a startup of his own. So Elipath is like a too long to read. It was a, it was a ideas incubator um, mm-hmm. started by Jake Lodwick, the Vimeo founder. Yeah. Um, historically raised money with no idea, which I loved about it. Uh, he basically, his premise was put enough creative developers, creative developers spanned designers, engineers, writers, like anybody who made stuff. Yeah. In one room, give them the resources they make to make versions of the tools they want to see in the world yeah. or the things they want to see and eventually they'll be a hit hmm. um for someone like a maker like me who like you know would very you know very often like try to sell typography posters or build products yeah or they um it was it seemed like the perfect environment because yeah. they were like you ship we want to ship stuff and i'm like sounds awesome let's yeah. do it um and being surrounded by people who've been help enable your ideas was really good yeah um so i joined there and one of the one of the sign-on gifts they gave me was like a Canon, 5, uh, Canon 5D Mark III, which I really didn't expect because I gave them, they were like, you seem... It's like, pretty awesome sign-on gift. I know. They yeah. were like, you seem really into photography because uh, I've been really into my phone. Yeah. Um, would you like a camera? And I was like, oh yeah, sure. Like, here's a list. And then I remember at the end, I was like, I'll split a like, Mark III with you. Yeah. And they were like, nah, we already ordered it. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> um, still like small town rural kid can't yeah. understand silicon valley money at this point <laughs> uh i still don't yeah. um so some of it's not real it, i mean it <laughs> yeah it, you have to yeah. like yeah it's it's just a very odd place to yes. try and wrap your head around um anyway so they gave me a camera uh, i had to go home for some for some vacations uh not vacation um i had to go home to sort some visa stuff out <laughs> so i took this camera which i was learning to use like it was the first my first like real dslr yeah um I kind of like figured out the photos I wanted to take from like a stylistic standpoint. I was like, oh, yeah. cool. Like I bought a 40 mil pancake lens. I was like, this is kind of focal length I like. Mm. Um, I'd been learning Lightroom to like process the photos in a way that I was never a fan of over stylist photos. I wanted like a right. editorial kind of vibe. Like, sure. High, you know, high contrast, like black blacks, like crushed highlights. Yeah. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, so during this time, I went to Estonia to see the original startup folks, like Zerpli. Yeah. So I went to Estonia to meet them because they've moved back from California at this point. Uh, I had an awesome time. Tallinn is a beautiful city. You should go. Okay. Um, it's so far into Europe. It's like <laughs> right next to Russia. Yeah. Um, and I took the new camera, and I had an awesome time. 
Yeah. Went to like an old Russian prison, took a bunch of photos of chairs. It was it was like I had this big visual story to tell. Yeah. Um, and also I just genuinely started committing more into like I want to be a photographer. Right. Um, so when I came back from that trip, I like went through all these photos. I picked the ones that told the story and edited them and. And that's where I started to realize I had nowhere to put them. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of, I don't know, that was maybe, I think, four months after I joined. I kind of like been collaborating on other projects yeah. before then. And this is what year, roughly? Start 2013. Okay, gotcha. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd, I had sat down with a problem, and I was in a particular environment where I could build solutions for it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, now it's it's different because mm. like now Exposure is like a company and like yeah. I have a vision for it. But then it was like I had a very simple problem. Mm-hmm. Then I, I was like, well, Instagram is is a moment. Like they're really good sure. at sharing a moment. Yep. And I wanted the same experience for sharing a story, like more context, more photos. <laughs> really like what Medium were doing, kind of felt similar, but not yeah. quite right. I was like, what if I build a medium for photo essays? That was literally what I said to Kyle at the time. He's yeah. like, we're in an environment where you can build this. Just design <laughs> some stuff and we'll figure it out. It's funny you, you mentioned that, though, because if you look at the major social networks in the last couple of years, what of the, the innovations that they've made are based around telling longer stories. You which know, disappear. Which, dis- <laughs> which disappear. <laughs> Granted. <laughs> so, um, but... All that to say, you were clearly onto something that other people had a desire for as well. There was a convergence of ideas at that point. I uh, Facebook started moving towards a, vis- a similar visual language. Yeah. Um, for linear, like visually focused mm-hmm. storytelling, um, there was a company called Storehouse, which mm-hmm. went like mobile first. And yeah. honestly, when you were like squinting your eyes, you really couldn't tell the difference between exposure and them. <laughs> um, but they were like full of Apple designers and mm-hmm. raised seven million dollars in capital and we're like on the Today Show showing it off and things like that so they, they went yeah. a completely different track they they lasted till 2015 um, but super interesting to follow because people yeah. would honestly email us and be like why would I use you over you and yeah it was a, it was it was a it was a uh, it was like a fast track uh, course in how competitive products work in the same landscapes hmm. um and i wasn't building a company at that point we we're still building a product so. right so the take me through those first steps of of solving that problem and beginning to design and, and implement that product what were what were the early days of that like um so Elpath had a really rough model there was never any true rules which mm-hmm. was hilarious they used to call it like a darwinian environment which i was always <laughs> funny um there was Sketch beta business. So yeah. Sketch being the incredibly janky prototype or mm-hmm. like the way you can convey your idea. Sure. And beta being like, if this feels right to you, like turn it into, like productize it and like see if you can get it into people's hands. Yeah. And if that starts working, like figure out how to make money from it and turn it into a business, mm-hmm. um, which I could always appreciate that. Like I still think about it almost weekly that that was the process. Yeah. Um, so... That was it. The first horrible designs were done in my mom's house, like mm. sat in my kitchen <laughs> because mm. I was still like away doing visa stuff. Yeah. Um, we got enough designs down. I knew enough like photographer friends. I was just like taking their content that they were mm. posting on their like horrible Tumblr blogs <laughs> and turning it into something that felt like super luxurious. Yeah. Because I was reading a lot of quarterlies at the time 
And I just was like, it sounds dumb, but like, like, how do you get the feeling of these like really premium publications like Kinfolk? Like, I, I've never read a Kinfolk mm-hmm. in my life, but I had like a stack of them because I thought they were like beautiful objects. Right. right. Like, how do you how do you get that feeling onto like a like a digital canvas? <laughs> Um, so as Tavani would say, a delightful experience. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's I mean that I always thought about like how magical it felt to like publish an Instagram photo. Yeah, and I know they're not exactly the same, but there's a experience around it which I really wanted to kind of bring over. Yeah, like how can you make this type of storytelling like super efficient, super effective, and most importantly, like beautiful? Mm-hmm. Like that's like all CMSs eventually become awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like let's avoid that. Um, so yeah, we like had this janky version. I like showed it to the people I stole their content. Um, my friend Tom Walsh, who was like a touring photographer, like um, a cinematographer, he, he had like a bunch of great content. Yeah, uh, he'd be on the road with like Architects, like a huge, huge band, hmm. huge metal band. And um, so I like took all that and put it into a story. He was like, "This looks great." Um, Ashley Baxter, who's like a uh, she's an entrepreneur. She she does an insurance company in the UK, but she's always been a really cool photographer. Hmm. I like took a bunch of her like blogger content and yeah. like put it in there. She was like, "This looks awesome." So kind of once I like, validated the format, the yeah. visual language enough, like we just was like, "Screw it, let's make it." Hmm. So the janky prototype was horrible, <laughs> but it was enough where I could like drag and drop, yeah, type in the page, like hmm. almost. Uh, uh, almost like a very native web experience. Sure. Kind of like how the internet should have been. Right. Um, that worked. Took it to like a beta phase where we like, you know, whole new code base. Got to America at this point. Me and Kyle were in the same room. We just cranked on it for like four or five months. Yeah. Uh, got it in a really good spot. Kind of did a beta period where, you know, I just put it on my Instagram. I was like, hey, like, do you want to come use this? Ended up with a bunch of really great content. Like mostly travel. Hmm. Um, but kind of like touches of sports and things like that and brand work um and when i knew it was working at that point because people were asking like how can i connect my domain to it so if you want to run your custom domains on uh, if you make a product that people want to put their domain on yeah like in in a weird way that's like product market fit sure (laughs) um obviously lots to do with product market fit and that's a big because people are signing their name to right i mean it's i mean they're trusting your product yeah. Um, that works. We've had people paying in beta, so mm-hmm. we're like, we have a business. Like, let's just launch it. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of like, yeah, December 2013. Mm-hmm. It was like out in the world. Had a chat. Like, our biggest press the day is still like a Verge article. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was it was pretty organic. Like, it felt it it didn't feel forced, and it felt like we were definitely building the solution that we wanted. Yeah. Well, and that's put, that kind of transitions into where I wanted to take you because you mentioned your competitor that was on the Today Show and it was very kind of in-your-face marketing campaign. Um, what were the early steps of branding that, okay, now you have this product that you know works and that people like? What were the early steps for you to, to start to spread the word and get that, that message out to people? Uh, it was inherently viral, which mm. is how, super helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of, in hindsight, of the five years the exposure has existed in the world, like I have basically done zero marketing. Hmm. <laughs> I have a product which has a logo on it, which people are fine with apparently living on, and they share it across yeah. their networks. Um, it would be nowhere without that for hmm. sure. Um, but we we really didn't do a whole lot. We just it was five years of like intense product work. It was yeah. just like what is the best solution that we can build right now for this problem? Right. Um, and we just kept doing that, like going back and iterating. And <laughs> we started to build in the community aspect of it pretty early on, like with a search and community categories. So mm. 
you know, it, it morphed into like a vision of like, you know, what if we create like a really great place on the internet to discover and publish visual storytelling? Yeah. And we basically just worked on those two products, the discovery part and the publishing part. Mm. So we built a really great editor with like really interesting discovery tools. Still not perfect for sure. Mm. But those two things alone like brought enough organic attention our way yeah. where, yeah, like we started to build like actual revenue and things just kept going well. So the Atlanta Falcons were like the first NFL team ever to join. Yeah. <laughs> um, How about that serendipity right there? Yeah, yeah. And then as soon as I moved to Atlanta, I emailed whoever was on that account. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, hey, this is weird, but uh, you use my thing. Can we hang out? And they, and Mike Bedford, who is like the creative yes. director for the Falcons, yes. he like instantly was like, yep, where do you want to hang out? So I like, <laughs> he like lived down the street from where our original Airbnb was, and I hung out with him like the day of. Nice. And I was like, this is a nice like circle because yes. you were kind of one of the critical moments where like exposure started working for, yeah. for non for organizational use or enterprise use versus mm-hmm. consumers. What was one of the first times or the first, I guess, customers or clients that used the product without kind of having a, a personal connection with you or, or with Elopath that you went, wow, they use this? <laughs> Scott Kelby, he's like a, he's like a, I don't know, I don't know how to describe the type of photographer he is, but he is a Kelby One, which is like a big uh, like education platform for for photography. Gotcha. Uh, he's like a huge blogger. He has written like a hundred books on Photoshop. I think he's yeah. actually in the Photoshop credits or something <laughs> like that. Um, but he is he, he he. I didn't realize how big he was, but he joined yeah. up and broke the site for like a day wow. because we weren't we were our infrastructure was not in place at that sure. point. Sure. Um, but I remember him signing up and posting like a maybe like a Venice trip or something like that and. Uh, he, you know, he runs like a huge like video daily podcast type thing too, yeah. and I talked about it on there, and it was just like someone with this much influence in the photography community mm-hmm. had seen the value of it, and like just jumped on it and used it and published it and shared it with their networks. So that's yeah. like again with the inherent viralness of it, like yeah. the the fact that people were willing to share an exposure dot co. We had dot so before this, but I think we were in the dot co world at this point. Um, <laughs> To their networks, I was like, wow, this is like, this really works. Like, sure. this is a format people are willing to invest in. Well, and I mean, it's not just, you know, people aren't just sharing your product. They're sharing their work or their memories well, or whatever it is. The story, yeah. like everybody, almost every organization has storytelling as part of their strategy to, yeah. for whatever their goals is, like mm-hmm. fan development or like fundraising. So like the WWF like World Wildlife Foundation, not wrestling, <laughs> as I have to say every time, signed up. Especially in the Southeast. <laughs> signed up super early, yeah. um, and they just share it. started sharing these amazing conservation <laughs> conservation stories. Um, I was just like, I had no idea they were going to use this. Um, yeah. The Charity Water, like, if you go on, there's still some links on their website that go to yeah. charitywater.exposure.co. Like, the nonprofit world really picked up on it, <laughs> um, and it's just something I never thought about. Like, sports, nonprofit, like... I built it to post my bougie travel <laughs> photos on and it, and the, and the fit almost like found itself. And that yeah. was like an incredibly uh, lightning bolt moment. It was like, this, this is no longer going to be like a niche little tool. Sure. Like it moved into like, what if we fundamentally change the way mm-hmm. people tell stories on the internet? <laughs> At what point did you realize 
wow, this is going to be something that I do for a long time. Like this is, this is going to be, this is going to be a big part of who I am for a long period of time and not just, Hey, I, I built this cool thing that I'm going to put up on the internet. Stress. Uh, the fact <laughs> that I was willing to like grow some gray hairs and mm. kind of rewire my nervous system yep. to deal with, um, working on something like this. Like there's a lot, there's like a, like a, a popular graph in startup stuff where, kind of like startups like you launch and it's exciting and it drops out and you're in like the pit of despair yep. and then you see the wiggles of hope and so <laughs> exposure has had several seasons of just like pit of despair for me yeah and we had a couple early on where just things organizationally like the way the studio is working just like it was really like awful yeah and i'm not worried this stuff. i'm not an entrepreneur i like accidentally started a product and now like i'm growing a company um but I remember a couple instances being like, I want to give this up right now. Mm. And then 20 minutes later being like, nope. Like, yeah. I like I really feel like I have something. Sure. Um, and, the, and the fact that barely anything makes it. Mm. <laughs> and we had enough traction where it was really exciting for me. Yeah. Um, but honestly, yeah, like if, like I'm not, I'm not a particularly, well, definitely have a, a thicker skin now, but those early days it was like, mm. I was really struggling. I was struggle bus. Yeah. Um, Are you one of those people that early on when you when you got the super critical, not kind, um, your product stinks email that you took that very personally? I still take that personally. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a, I mean, we're in a really great shape after five years. Like we have yeah. a really solid product, but we, you know, we have our MPS hovers at like 70. That's like pretty unheard of. Like mm. Tesla's have that. Mm. And you know, that's after thousands of NPS runs. Um, mm. But no, I'll still, you know, as a f- solo founder at this point, like, it, like it is me. Like, yeah. the product, this thing out in the world, for the most part, is, like, very much me. Right. And I walk around as, like, Mr. Exposure in Mr. <laughs> Elena. Um, so it's, those early days were incredibly rough to, like, try and, try and understand that, like, one person's opinion matters but it shouldn't impact the mission. Yeah. Like that's very difficult to like separate. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, that stuff's so hard. Like, yeah, I'm a very, very sensitive soul. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm very True. unhappy when people are unhappy. I understand. <laughs> I understand. You've already told us why mm-hmm. the move to Atlanta, mm-hmm. but I'm interested in a little bit more of the context, you know, when you're in that, that bubble, as you described it in California and you built this thing and you're running this thing. And then all of a sudden the decision to, uproot mm-hmm. and go to Atlanta, which as we've talked about here at Switchyards is not a historically strong B2C business yep. city. Or were you, did that scare you? Were you worried about the implications of that? Or was it just a situation that once you got here, the, the infrastructure was here, you felt like, okay, I can do this. Yeah, I mean, startups have changed, like, ever mm-hmm. since I got to town, like, what got to town? Got, when it, first time I, like, set foot in startup world, like, f- five years was, like, you know, a thousand years. Yeah. So, it's not like I didn't do my due diligence, like, I understood that Atlanta was definitely a B2B town mm-hmm. for the most part, um, but that's not to say, like, everybody isn't trying to do something. Right. Um, so, when you really look into communities like Switchyards or Atlanta Tech Village or, like, the Techstars mm-hmm. community here or... Basically, like any of the anywhere where people are making stuff, you mm-hmm. really it's it's easy to understand like this this is a this is a place where entrepreneurs are either thriving 
or have the opportunity to thrive. Yeah. And that was even, you know, two years ago. And it's only seemed to have got more accelerated since then. Hmm. Um, MailChimp's obviously a huge influence on yeah. my decision. I actually was, you know, super grateful to actually get a coffee with Ben Chestnut, like, when I first moved. And yeah. I was just like, yeah, like, the <laughs> fact that this exists here, like, I know they're an outlier. They're, you yeah. know, they're a 0.001 percentile company, but it still happened here. And that's, sure. like, an incredibly, like, special thing. In a weird way, like, I walked in with credentials. Mm. Like, I knew already from, like, the way I have a Twitter community, Instagram community, yeah. like, walking into conversations here would not be difficult as it would be if I didn't. I'm not saying, mm. like, I'm, everybody seems very friendly. I'm sure it would be okay. But, like, the fact that I had done my Silicon Valley whirlwind, sure. like, people respected that and, like, wanted to talk to me about it. Yeah. So it was very easy to, like, put myself in, in the circles that connected everything. Um, but it wasn't scary. It was it was more so like making friends. Like yeah. <laughs> like I could make acquaintance and like business people or, you know, creative community, but like making friends was scarier yeah. than bu- like building a like a professional network. Sure. Oh gross. <laughs> <laughs> Please add me on my LinkedIn. <laughs> Finally that brings us here. Atlanta, Georgia by way of Cheltenham and San Francisco. And as Luke continues to build exposure for the future, he finds he's giving a little bit more of himself to his new home city as well. I've made legitimate friends, which <laughs> has been really awesome. And yeah. a lot of those just came from Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, that's another part of Atlanta which has really inspired me. It's just like I've never wanted to contribute to a community as much as I've <laughs> lived here. Like the first week I was like, oh, how can I shoot nonprofit photos or whatever? Like yeah. I just – I've, I, I'm not incredibly spiritual, but I've tried to like double my karma <laughs> points here <laughs> and so far it's working. Like yeah. I am genuinely feeling like more content, more happy than I've ever been. Um, mm. and that's even without like, you know, 50% less vitamin D and hundred percent more sweating. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, and it's funny because I, you know, on your website down in the lower right hand corner now, it says mm-hmm. exposure is, is it proudly built? In, built in Atlanta. No. Built in yeah. Atlanta. I used to have a MARTA version of the logo, but now I just stole yeah. the Atlanta Olympics logo. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I like this one. This is the best Atlanta logo. I was weirdly on a call with like a Google Cloud salesperson. Yeah. And they, the salesperson was from Atlanta. He's like, is that logo supposed to be the MARTA logo? And I was like, yeah. He's yeah. like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> a question I ask most people uh, on the show, and I'd love to hear your, your answer to this, is what do you see down the line for exposure? What are the things that maybe you're working on or your long-term goals for what you want exposure to be? Uh, from like the company perspective, mm-hmm. like there's so much more to do in terms of discovery and like connecting storytelling community. Yeah, We're a great product that people love, but barely nobody knows about it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, in part, time to stop building and time to start selling. And when I say selling, I mean scaling. Hmm. Um, and that's like not my wheelhouse. So as a you know as a product builder or entrepreneur, I'm like starting to learn, lean into that and sure. understand how we how you take like a you know six figure a year business into like you know eight you know tens yeah. of millions of dollars. Years. Yeah. Um, but we have like easy we have easy routes for that which like they've been open the whole time and just never worked on them um but from like a grander vision perspective it's like it's time to start moving into different storytelling technologies Mm. Uh, i've never had a native app uh never had a way for really people to tell stories like on 
from the devices that everybody has. Like we're yeah. going to start moving into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely moving towards like what can we do for organizations like the UNDP who have hundreds of stories to tell or hundreds of departments worth of stories to tell. Yeah. Like how do they start kind of putting that in one place? Um, always been a huge fan of Medium's publications and they're now going away. So I want to create a solution for those. Um, so more of that, um, one of the more exciting things I want to work on is creating an economy around storytelling. Um, people are storytelling like never before, uh, but most of the time they're, you know, putting it into a network or putting it on a network where it goes away or they're never going to get paid for it. Um, I would love to create an economy there. You can get paid in the same way that you can click publish. Like those two things should be synonymous. Um, So, you know, even if it's selling prints or paywalls or like Mm -hmm. getting hired, like there's a whole economy for the whole timeline of storytelling. Um, Be it like ideation and development or just like straight like, oh, you want to, you know, pay me a dollar to see my best places to work in Atlanta guide yeah. or something like that, um, which is all hundred percent doable. Like it's never been better. It's never been a better time to make that sort of stuff. Um, and then kind of, you know, even larger term thinking, like I would love to, well, I am going to build a business in Atlanta and it's going to be, you know, I want to hire Atlanta people. Yeah. And yeah. in the super long term, I want to create, sounds kind of dumb, but bear with me, but I, I'd love to create, like wealthy people in Atlanta mm-hmm. to go off and create their own businesses. Like that is like a whole like different goal for me now yeah. to understand that like if you create a diverse, a diverse group of experienced entrepreneurs, like mm-hmm. that would be uh, like an echo in time. Like that would, sounds really cool for me. <laughs> the exposure mafia. I, I, so I mean, like I was tweeting about this recently, and, uh, but like yeah. mafia is the wrong word. Yeah. Like there is a, like a, alumni or something like that. Sure. Mafia sure. means like is too mean. Is <laughs> the wrong word. Um, there's there's better yeah. ways to do it. And like in, in my opinion, like exposure is gonna be successful because it has to be. Um, and I would love for the success to, you know, not just be, you know, inward. It needs sure. to be outward. To start telling your visual stories in a beautiful manner, check out exposure.co and do what Luke did. Start building. Follow the company on social media at Exposure and keep an eye on Luke's latest photography journey on his Instagram at Luke's Beard or Luke.exposure.co. Atlanta Born and Brand is a production of Connects Media. We're a full-service digital media production company focused on helping small businesses tell their story in the most effective way they can. If you're looking to tell the story of your business, we'd love to help. You can find us at ConnectsATL.com. Special thanks go out to Chris Hilliard, Joshua Pruitt, and our families who make it all possible. Stay tuned in the show for more stories from the city's top startups and small businessmen and women. You can do that by subscribing in Apple Podcasts or wherever else you might happen to be listening. If you like the show, we'd really appreciate a review and a rating. And of course, share it with your friends. Keep up with the show on social media. We're at ATL Born Brand on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also like our Atlanta Born and Brand Facebook page. Finally, you can find all the previous episodes of the show on our website, atlborn.com. For Atlanta Born and Brand and Connects Media, I'm Jonathan Hilliard. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you all soon.